Off top, did you know that trees can communicate? Through underground fungus, they send messages to each other. Play the music. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. What's up, Charlie? I have been annoyed by the posting of the white quarterback wearing chains after a game. I know it doesn't matter, but it's like, it's not annoying, like it bothers me, but it's like, it's not funny. And I guess yeah. on, on your plane, maybe it's cute, maybe it's funny, but they're posting the video. And I guess I just don't have to watch it. I don't have to talk about it, but it's everywhere. People keep showing me cousins and Heine. Like, isn't this cool? Isn't this funny? We put our chains on the white quarterback. This is so fun. It just is lame, and I'm sick of it. I, it has nothing to do with anything. It doesn't project how good a team is going to be bad. It's just like some things uh, jump the shot. Greeny said this morning that when Adam Schefter is doing it, then you need to stop. And when Adam Schefter went topless <laughs> on Monday night countdown, with uh, a bunch of chains on. Yeah, I think that thing was over. Hopefully we can stop that and the gritty need to end. Well, I have one one question about this. Mm-hmm. Does, does Kirk Cousins realize he's the butt of the joke? Does he realize <laughs> that his teammates are, are putting the chains on him because it's he's so lame that they think, yeah. it's, they think there's like an irony in someone that lame being dressed that cool? In theory, yeah. cool. I mean, yeah, I guess. I think that he feels like he's laughing with them because he recognizes that he's like, I don't cuss, I'm Mr. Square, I'll do anything else. But I mean, if is there nothing more like cool than uh, optimizing your money? Kirk Cousins is the the guy who has been the most like ruthless when it comes to like the rapper style capitalism that that we are like laughing at when he put the chains on him it's like yeah maybe Kirk Cousins doesn't rock the chains but Kirk Cousins is definitely yeah. about his money to me it just like it looks like when I put sunglasses on my dog and he's like what the hell are you doing why are you doing this sunglasses like I feel like I don't look good in sunglasses but I don't know dude is there something that, I was thinking about this when I saw Heineke doing it where I get the feeling that Heine kind of wants to lean into it. He doesn't yes. realize. He doesn't it's totally realize, different. Yeah. Like her cousins, it's a little bit like, all right, this is funny because I'm not this guy. I think Heineke kind of is like, I am this guy. I just don't, I haven't got my big contract yet to get my chains. And it just made me think about how there are so many things that like I see other people do. And I'm like, that's cool. I wish I could pull that off. But like, I recognize that. I was going to say I'm too old, but it's not even about age as much as it's about like the confidence or persona. Yes. Like I, I, there's so many things I'm like, yeah, you did that. That looks good on you. What, what is it for you? Is there something that you like, all right, I want to, I, I want to grill, but I know I can't pull it off. Oh, there are, there are plenty of things. Like I, there, <laughs> there are pl- plenty of things I look at. I'm like objectively cool. Not for me. And then how I rationalize it is the only way to, to be cool. I call it degaffing don't give a blank, but um, is you have to be comfortable to yourself not to care. And Taylor Heineke definitely cared about looking cool or trying to be cool. That like translates to me. I absolutely agree with that. And an argument that I've been having all week on all platforms uh, about Josh Allen, because I think that 
the like not caring means that you have to be on the cutting edge of coolness or fashion or whatever, which means that quite a few people are going to see you and be like, that's whack. But yeah. you ha you have to take that risk. And I know it's a stretch, but like I feel like that about Josh Allen when everyone is yelling about Josh Allen's turning the ball over too much. No, Josh Allen is going to take some L's. Like there are going to be times when Josh Allen's shooting for the moon doesn't work. But the fact of the matter is the reason why they win any games and the reason why we consider the Bills a real legitimate Super Bowl competitor is because Josh Allen is taking these unwise risks but converting them successfully more than he's falling short. It, the analogy that I've been using is it's like when aliens invade the world and we call Superman to defend us and then yeah. he defends us but we complain because he broke a couple buildings. Like, right. I'm sorry. It's the price you pay for having Superman on your roster is sometime his laser eyes are going to get a little out of whack and burn a hole through something you like. Well, can I, can we talk about Josh Allen for just one second, one yeah, millisecond? Yeah. Cause sure. I am, this is maybe the storyline I'm looking forward to most for the rest of the football season. And the reason is, is I and you, we are not beholden to all of the narratives that are on ESPN and every other football expert and blah, 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 blah. And you and I both thought when Josh Allen got drafted, he wasn't going to be good. You and I both immediately realized, whoa, he's kind of talented. Whoa, he's If you look around Twitter, if you look around football social media, so many experts are like, this is their moment. And they're like, aha, aha. I waited long enough for me to be right. He's not actually that good. And to watch all of these experts be wrong twice, if Josh Allen is awesome in the playoffs, is going to be chef's kiss glorious. I think that's a perfect uh, segue into talking about the Eagles and Jalen Hurts. Yeah. Because I think some of the same things are happening. I'm not right. saying Jalen Hurts is as good as Josh Allen, but he's playing that well so far this season. And if Jalen Hurts was a first-round pick, we'd be talking about him like he's on a Mahomesian trajectory. If he was putting up these numbers and winning at this pace, we'd be talking about him like that. But I think while we are unable or while we are able to release our, like our preconceived notions about Josh Allen, eventually I'll even admit it took me a little time to accept that Josh Allen's recklessness is, is worth it to get the good side. It's not taking me long with Jalen Hurts because I learned he's good. It doesn't matter where he was drafted. It doesn't matter what I thought about him. And I, I think that maybe with Jalen Hurts is some confirmation bias and maybe it's some other kind of bias with Jalen Hurts. But I understand. I was hesitant to be all in on Jalen Hurts, even after he started playing well last season. I was like, yeah, he's pretty good. But like I held on to the opinion that I had about him pre-draft process that he could not develop into something better. Right. He's developed into something better. And even in that loss that he was incredible. And if anybody was watching that game, you fully believe that if they were going to get that stop, that Jalen Hurts was going to lead them on a game winning drive. Yeah. And we should talk about this time because I think also it's, it's pre-draft stuff. Also we can't forget this. He got benched for Nate Sudfeld. And we were all like, whoa, the Eagles really must not think that Jalen Hurts is that good. But the thing that's interesting to me about Jalen Hurts compared to young quarterbacks 
And I thought a lot about this as we sort of have fallen in love with the high variance guys, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. I know Patrick Mahomes has a really high floor, but he's still a higher variance guy with the plays that he's capable of making. Justin Herbert is another example of that. Just freak athlete. Even Lamar Jackson has more peaks and valleys, um, but the, the peaks are so high. Jalen Hurts is unique in this because I actually think that since he's come into, into the NFL, he's been pretty steady with who he is and like steadily growing. He's like the, the basketball player who adds like one post move every offseason. And then you look up and he's like, oh, he has a million spins and jump hook fakes and up and unders. Like we're three years into Jalen Hurts and he's just incrementally gotten better, but his floor has never gotten lower by adding more to the playbook. And I remember you talked about this early in the season with how Dallas runs their offense with Dak Prescott compared to Cooper Rush. And that sometimes just raising the floor with simplicity can make a team better. Jalen Hurts on his own does that because he does all the simple things really well. Now he's adding the exceptional things. Yeah, I think another thing that we talk about, but it's like impossible to measure that it feels like I'm not in the locker room. I'm not in the organization. But one of the big differences from Jalen Hurts, their current franchise quarterback, to Carson Wentz, their first round draft pick, who was supposed to be their franchise quarterback, is like the intangible stuff. Yeah. The emotional stuff, the maturity stuff, not to push, not to denigrate Carson Wentz or any other quarterback. It does feel like maybe it's the result of Jalen Hurts being a coach's son. Maybe it's a result of Jalen Hurts having gone through some difficulties in college, having his spot taken and going somewhere else and succeeding, being a second round draft pick and being stashed on bench, whatever it is. He has whatever emotional steadiness and confidence and, frankly, like cool that it feels like adds some level of value to your team that I feel like I'm verging on the area of like talking about uh, things like momentum. But I think that to be fair, all right. This is something that I wanted to do at some point. Maybe we do it at some point is like attack the the NFL verbiage and cliches that we feel mm -hmm. like mean nothing is like explain them. So I think when people say momentum, I like recoil because I'm like momentum in sports is not a real thing. But in actuality, what I think that they're talking about is like some emotional goodwill, whatever it is, like a good feeling that you get because you've had some success. That's a real thing. And yeah, yes, it, it doesn't mean, yeah, it doesn't mean that you won't continue or it doesn't that you cannot fail. But it's something hard to measure. I think yeah. the same thing can be true for whatever Tom Brady brought to the Bucks when he first came down there. I think Jalen Hurts, Hurts to Tom Brady. Let's go. Oh, yeah. Oh, who, who, who would you rather have right now? Definitely give me the uh, the Eagles. Uh, and that's as far as I'll go. <laughs> See, I still got some of this pre-draft bias I can't shake because he's played better than Tom Brady so far this season. Well, so I, I want to get back to – the momentum thing in, in one second because i have i have an opinion on it that i th i think is slightly different than yours but first of all i think we can define carson wentz versus jalen hurts in a really easy way carson wentz would be shirtless wearing a chain if he played well in the game jalen hurts would expect to play well that wouldn't need to be shirtless in the chain and <laughs> on the plane home um, Jalen Hurts look great in his and his uh, speaking of things that nobody else could pull off Jalen Hurts wore like an azalea pink full suit shirt tie combo, and uh, he looks great in it. There's no way I could pull that off. Yeah. Anyway, you were making a point. Um, no. So my thing about momentum, you think it's like a feeling. 
I think it's patterns. This is where I where I've disagreed, and I know that like our mutual friend Bomani hates the term momentum in sports, right, right. but I think it's exposing patterns and finding a repeatable pattern to expose over time. It's like you see this in football games, you see this in basketball games. Sometimes you find a weakness that you can continue to exploit without changing your game plan, and it might take you three quarters. It might take you three and a half quarters. It might happen in the middle of the first quarter. But if you find that and you can keep going to it over and over and over again, you start having a bigger and bigger advantage, even if that pattern that you've exploited is a small advantage on any given play. And that's what I think it comes down to. Yeah, maybe. But this is where I disagree with you is when you hear someone reference momentum on a broadcast, sometimes it's a fluke play. Sometimes it's a tipped interception, a tip ball interception. And then you're like, oh, there's a momentum shifter right there, or they sure do have the momentum. And that's why I think it's sometimes it's just like, oh, you feel better now. Something happened that made you feel better. And that's we need to find a better word for it, maybe, because I think Bomani takes it uh, literally and goes to the real definition, which would suggest that it can't be stopped if there was some momentum. But I think it's different is it's more like a, a emotional shift, an emotional momentum that's like, all right, we don't feel good. Things aren't going well, either because we found something that works. So to your point, we found something that works and that like engenders engenders some sort of like emotional boost or we got a random occurrence. And it's like, all right, we're good. We got some mo now. We can keep yeah. it going. Um, so I, I, I got to ask, though, because now now I get to do the thing that you love. Were you ever in a game and you're just like you were down, but then you figured something out and you're like, Oh, we got these mother bleepers now. <laughs> uh, let me think. Because that's I'm that's sure momentum I, as you're as you yeah. as you think of it. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure I have. Yeah, I feel like it it's something that happens in games when you're a, an underdog. Mm-hmm. And I think back to college, because that's like, I mean, in NFL, while you are an underdog, sometimes it doesn't feel like a real underdog. You know, like everybody is competitive. Uh, in college, though, like I, I remember playing against Florida State and back when they were actually competitive and and Clemson and NC State with uh, Philip Rivers, where there is a specific play. Uh, I think we were playing Florida State and Crofonzo Thorpe was the receiver who was like one of the best receivers uh, in the country. And just like I had no trouble guarding him. And I was like, oh, geez we got them. It's coming off a year where the year before I played and Anquan Bolden was there and Anquan Bolden did me so dirty that my next year, or when I finally got to the NFL, I tried to fight Anquan in the middle of a game. Did I ever tell you this story? No. Okay. Well, all right. So I was a junior. I was, uh, I had a really great like freshman season. Then I was all conference and all American as a sophomore. Then my junior year, I'm feeling full of myself. I'm like, uh, I'm writing into the league to find out it's a, it's a process you go to, to get like your pre-draft um, evaluation. And they'll like, tell you how high you're projected to go if you should come out. So I'm doing that. I'm in the process. I'm like, I'm leaving early. I'm balling. I'm gonna be a first round pick. This is great. Uh, the season doesn't go nearly as well as I want. Anquan Bolden is one of the best receivers in football. I'm matched up against him. And I'm like, yeah, this is a time where I can really show that I'm good. We ended up having a good season as a team. But in that game, Anquan Bolden is not fast. He is not quick, but he is strong. And Anquan gave me the blues. I was trying to press him. He just run through it. I'm not a big guy. 
and he was just giving me the business and it was just a bad game overall. He went to the NFL, uh, was in, was in Arizona and was playing really well. I think he had like a hundred catches in his first season. Then following year, I'm, I get drafted to the Broncos and I saw that we were playing them. And so I marked it on my calendar. It was one of those <laughs> moments. And I went into that game aggressive as hell, like trying to start shit with them and like lunge pressing, just doing all types of wild shit. And like, I fully expected, like my mentality was like, last time I played against this guy, it was a damn street fight. And I got my ass kicked. I'm ready for a street fight. Anquan was a professional football player at this point, And I was still holding on to college drama. And I just kept being so kept trying to fight and crest pushing, kept doing everything. I dropped the interception in that game too, which is frustrating. <laughs> but like sometime before halftime is like, I'm fully ready for whatever is going to come. And he's like, what are you doing? Like chill. <laughs> and it just like snapped me out of it. Like, oh yeah, he's right. What the <laughs> f- am I doing? I think we ended up winning that game. But, and I ended up, I told him this story. We played together in Baltimore eventually. Yeah. And I told him this story and, as embarrassing as it was for me at the time, it was even more embarrassing because he didn't he didn't remember whooping my ass in college, and he also did not remember me trying to whoop his ass in Arizona. I was like, "Damn, I don't mean anything." <laughs> but, you were you were the one shirtless shirtless with the chain on in that oh, in that scenario. It was it was a lot of little dog energy, all the little dog energy because yeah. But anyway, Anquan's a great guy, great player, all those things. I forgot what we were talking about. Eagles, That's great. Oh yeah, yeah. The, um, one of the Eagles points that I've been fighting that I wanted to bring to you and I want you to mm-hmm. ensure that I'm right is modern football. Eagles are bad at the run or bad at stopping the run. Mm-hmm. And it's being presented as like a fatal flaw. Like this is important. They're not going to be able to succeed in football. Yes. I think fundamentally in football, you need to be able to run the ball and stop the run. However, what I've come to believe is the most important thing to do defensively is eliminate the big plays. They are the best in the league for um, explosive play percentage. I think it's like 3.8 or something like that. And that's the best in the league. Yes, they are among the worst in the league at stopping the run. But to me, that matters so much less, particularly when they have an offense that's as effective as the offense they had that they have now. And so, yeah, they didn't score a ton of points, but they had three turnovers that were all fluky. <laughs> it was like a, a, a dropped pass by A.J. Brown, um, mm-hmm. Watkins hopping up and fumbling, and Dallas Goddard getting his face mask pulled and fumbling. Those are things that aren't going to continue to happen, and they are still in the game until you had the roughing the passer call. So to me, this is an argument that I've been having with so many people, and I hope that you agree with me, is that it doesn't matter that much that they can't stop the run. What matters, in the, it got thrown in my face like, well, you care that the Cowboys can't stop the run because that's why the Cowboys lost. No, the Cowboys' issues with stopping the run, yeah, it was a problem, but they gave up big plays. Like Christian Watkins was, or Watson was running through their defense. That was the big issue to me. So what do you think? So I think in general, that's that's correct. Um, but I think that there we're, we're verging on that being slightly too simplistic of what, what could be the Eagles' uh, Achilles heel. And, and for the record, I think we're, we're talking about this 
from the guys. We think the Eagles are by far and away the best team in the NFC. We were comparing them, uh, Chiefs, Bills, Dolphins, a tier above the Vikings. So we're, we're you're in that special air where we're like, we need to poke weaknesses because if they lose, we got to figure out what happened. Um, and I think you're right. Obviously, you'd rather give up four yards in a cloud of dust than give up, you know, an 80-yard play to Tyree Kill. Um, with that said, in that Washington game, they almost did give up chunk plays. Obviously, McLaurin used the slot to have big chunk plays, which is concerning because if it's not just stopping the run, if you're getting beat in the middle of the field, that's a different story. But also, if our guy, Heine, hadn't vastly underthrown that ball to Dotson, they're up by 16 in the fourth quarter of that game because he flew open on the outside. Um, so in general, I think you're right. They've been really good at stopping explosive plays. But I wonder if, that one thing goes differently. If you have someone with a starting quarterback caliber arm in that game, if we view McLaurin beating Slay twice on the outside and dominating in the slot and Dotson getting deep on them as something like, whoa, if you establish the run, it changes the way they play defense right. and it opens up the rest of the field. Yeah, that's fair. But I think my my pushback on that is if we are going to say that this was not an aberration, that the Eagles are actually bad at stopping the run. No, no, not bad. Just maybe vulnerable in no 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 no. Let me finish. They are bad at stopping the run. I believe that to be true. The reason why we're saying that is not because of this one game. We're saying that because of an entire season sample size. Right. And if you can like determine that based on or not entire season, but a half season sample size. If you can determine that based on a half season sample size that they're bad at stopping the run, you also have to accept that they're good at eliminating explosive plays because they're the best in the league at that over the same period. So yes, sometimes people get open. Yes, they're going to give up explosive plays because they get paid too. But over the course of an entire season, they are going to be better at that. And that's more important to be good at. And so the problem is, yes, if they, this is always a really frustrating thing is because of the single elimination of the playoffs, they could absolutely lose. And it could be for whatever reason. And we're going to walk away from that game. And I'm going to have to listen to people say Jalen Hurts don't got the clutch gene or whatever, or the Eagles weakness. Uh, it finally jumped up to bite them. And to me, it's not a fair thing to say this isn't basketball where it's a seven game series and there's adjustments every game and the better team like, routinely wins football sometimes the giants win the super bowl guys and sometimes the Bengals find themselves in it well the irony is is against washington washington ran the ball for three yards to carry it's not like brian robinson was torching them but i do wonder so okay what we saw from that game if we have to take this seriously something we could conceivably see again in nfl season because that's what happens sometimes there's more than one of these aberration games do you see them playing the vikings can Justin Jefferson be a 3X version of what, what McLaurin did in the middle of the field against them and sort of change the way that they're able to get first downs? Can Debo do that? Because that, to me, it's like, if we look back, that's going to be the thing where it's like, maybe that is where they gave up points in this playoff game. Uh, Justin Jefferson can. And I think the also the more concerning point is probably that their inability to stop the run could be a bigger issue against Dalvin Cook because Dalvin Cook can make an explosive out of it. Like, you're not looking at eight yards. You're looking at maybe 25 with Dalvin Cook. So, yes, this could be a problem against Minnesota, and that's a team that they're going to play in the playoffs. But the reason why I still lean Eagles is 
when we talk about the Eagles in isolation, yes, you can find problems with them. But when you talk about the Eagles and how they compare to the rest of the teams in the NFC that they're going to have to face, everyone else's problems are bigger. Right. Everyone else's problems are more concerning than the Eagles. And, I, and that's what it boils down to for me. So, yes, the um, the Vikings could beat them this week and the Vikings could beat them in the playoffs. We've seen it happen. No one is out here thinking that last year's Bengals team was actually better than the Chiefs, but they beat them. Things happen. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's just the way it is. And so I, I guess I'm, I'm preemptively arguing against the people that I know are going to come out the woodwork should the Eagles not win the Super Bowl. So I'm like, see, it didn't work. Jalen Hurts don't got the clutch gene. He can't. Nah, 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 nah. I hate those people. Well, I mean, to be fair, if they don't win the Super Bowl and they get there, I won't be surprised. Because they'll probably be playing the Chiefs or the Bills. And they'll be like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but I do have one other question. And that is on the offensive side. Because two minutes and 30 seconds left. They're running the ball. And Sirianni has Boston Scott on the field. And the ball's not in the hands of A.J. Brown. It's not in the hands of Devontae Smith. It's not in the hands of Miles Sanders. Do you have any concerns that this guy who we have anointed as this really sharp, good coach that he can get a little bit too cute offensively because he hasn't been in the high leverage situations because they've been kicking the shit out of everyone this whole season? Yeah, I mean, I guess there is some concern there. I tend to, and let's go back to like episode three here, organizational stability. Like I tend to think that teams like the Eagles have structure around uh, their coaches uh, and around their players. And the structure around the coaches helps because they are aware of the things that they should be prepared for. And even when the coach doesn't know what he needs to know, there is an organization that knows how to fill in the gaps and knows how to prepare him for that. It's not a coincidence that there are certain teams that remain competitive uh, in spite of a lot of things that happen around them. Sometimes it's uh, it's easily explained. But I think all the time, all those teams are like well-respected organizations that are like run well and consistent, even like, and I know you could say like, well, Patrick Mahomes is the reason that the chiefs like, no, if you think back, the chiefs are really good. It's, it's Andy Reid and the organizational stability that he provides. He was at the Eagles, never bad at the Eagles went to Kansas city, never bad. Then they found a God tier quarterback. And now they feel like out of this world, the same thing is true of the Ravens since the Ravens came in the league and drafted two Hall of Famers in their first draft. They have never really just been bad, even despite the fact that they got their first, like, top-level quarterback recently. Those teams have, like, uh, stability around the organization that makes it so that I am going to lean in the direction of figuring things out. So there won't be a bunch of coaching mistakes in high-leverage situations for the Eagles, uh, for the Chiefs, for the Ravens, uh, and I guess like um, the 49ers, I feel like are a team that's leaning that direction. And the Packers are kind of, uh, uh, they've been successful for a while, but it doesn't feel like it's a result of organizational uh, stability. And yeah, I guess in, in Tampa, you see that their organization does not have that stability when it's all based around one person like Tom Brady. If he has a rough start to the season, everything else falls apart are you buying that oh i'm definitely buying that i'm definitely buying that's a huge part of it um i think i'm uh slightly slower i i i i have i would take a slightly wider lens view of the of the eagles situation because this will be their first time sort of in this era entering that tier of teams that we really trust for a long term long time 
I would be 0% surprised if we look at, if we six months from now, we look at them in that lens, but I would also be, you know, not shocked if, if they have a disappointing playoff run, because that's just sort of how it goes in the NFL. Yeah, You lose um, a lot. Yeah. I'm in the same place and I'm like guarding myself against that is like, I wouldn't be shocked if they fell short this season, but it doesn't mean that there's a referendum on everything. And I know that's what's going to happen. And I'm, I guess I should be happy because I'll be the one yeah. that I would sense on TV fighting against all these idiots who are like, Oh, Jalen hurts the problem. They need to upgrade at quarterback, which to be fair, I was one of those idiots the off season, but I am willing to the, to admit that I'm wrong. Cause now when you admit that you're wrong, that means that you're allowed to be right. And now I'm right. Now let's talk about the play of the week, the pressure to follow up hypnotic and cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup blue and ready for the play and boom on Yeho tequila came in with a smooth assist to hypnotic's tropical fruit finish, shaken, strained, poured, it was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur. Barnstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had, happened in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com DF today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot DF. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. I wanted to say something about the Cowboys and something that hit me about them this morning is the way that they constructed their defense. It feels like their defense is incongruent with their offense and that their mm -hmm. defense is a great pass rush group and a great team. Like they're constructed to have a lead and get after people. 
but they traded away their true number one receiver for a fifth round pick. And then we end up dumping on Dak when he can't convert on third and short, when he don't got anybody like CD lamb is not consistent enough to be a true number one. It feels and everyone's like, we got to run the ball more like, no, actually, I don't, I don't think, I think the best thing that the Cowboys can do is have success, like be successful on offense. Um, I don't know that I believe that the blueprint for that is like handed to Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott more often. It's, and I guess if you, if you don't have a receiver, that's just that you can rely on, I guess maybe you have no other option, but the tough thing is we talked about how the Bills' style of play is to get an early lead and then allow their pass rushers to eat. I feel like the, the, um, Cowboys have a similar type of defense where it's like you want Trayvon Diggs to know that a pass is coming because he's going to turn it over. You want Micah Parsons to not be in Lawrence to not be concerned about their run gap. You want them to be able to cliche time, pin their ears back. And I think that that's tough to do when you have an offense that doesn't have those type of weapons that you would want. I totally get what you're saying. However, I totally get what, however, I feel that it's Dak and the offense letting down the defense more than it's the defense not being built to support the offense. Like I, I obviously they picked it up after Dak threw the two early interceptions last week, but I still think when you have a quarterback that for a lot of years has been thought of as a top 10 guy in the NFL. You just want a little bit more stability and consistency moving the football when you have a defense that can wreak havoc and cause these turnovers. Because yeah, no, that's I, something I, that I, should be a massive advantage. Maybe I didn't explain myself clearly. I agree with you. I'm saying that what I'm hearing about the Cowboys is they need to run the ball more. They should run it more in the fourth quarter. And my opinion is, no, they actually need to score more points. They need to throw the ball. However, Jerry Jones, the um, the all-knowing Jerry Jones, traded away an uh, important piece of that for a fifth-round pick. So I do think this defense is incredible. But the offense kind of needs to put them in the position to succeed. And in order to do that, I think they need to be And you think that's all Amari Cooper? No, I don't think it's all Amari Cooper. I think it's an easy, it's an easy thing to point to to make my point. I think in general that it's part of Mario Cooper, it's part Dak Prescott, it's part Kellen Moore, um, it's part CeeDee Lamb. But I, I think that the bottom line is if they get let down, they got let down by their defense in the last game. Yeah. If they get let down going forward, I think it's going to be because they end up putting their defense in a bad situation because they don't have the offensive firepower to put up the the type of points that I think would allow – their defense to be at its best because what you want is Michael Parsons rushing the passer. And when you don't yeah. have that, you uh, like you play into the opponent's hands when they don't have to drop back on third and eight, third and nine, which I guess could fall on them needing to stop the run. That's the value, I think, of the Cowboys being able to stop the run is forcing or needing to stop the run is forcing passing situations where they can really get after it. I I I I think I agree with this as I, I think more about it too. But also it's because like we can't have it both ways of running backs don't matter. They're this they're this replaceable position, and then also have our internet crush on Tony Pollard and be like, oh, that's the only explosive player on the Cowboys offense. And it's like that is not sustainable. I mean, maybe if you have Derrick Henry for a year when he runs for two thousand yards and you can overcome fourteen point deficits because he can break off sixty yarders, but for all other human running backs. 
human offenses. That is not, that is not a sustainable uh, path for success. And I actually don't even know, you know, unless you have one of those Ravens defenses from the early two thousands, if really that offense is sustainably good enough to not, you know, let you down at certain points. Yeah, I think you're right. We'll see. All right. Um, Deshaun Watson's back at practice. He's not playing this week, so I don't know. Maybe we should wait till next week to talk about uh, his return to the team. What's it going to mean? Is he any good or not? But, uh, yeah, I'm not sure there's much to talk about if he's not going to field. something that, like, came on my radar and I was considering, but, like, it feels boring if he's not even going to play this weekend. So we'll see. Let's hit up his bets. We're 500. Yeah. We went on a skid, 12 and 12. Let's get get us over, Charlie. I feel like these are always your bets. So give them to me. I'll tell you whether we can stick with them or not. Bears plus three at the Falcons. Are we sure that the Falcons, no matter what we know, they're going to play a close game? Yeah. I'm going to trust you. You Let's can talk go. me off any of these. Yeah, I, I don't love this one, but I feel I, I also, yeah, I like it. Bears, yeah, they, they can keep it close. Bears. Plus three. Okay. Pat's money line against the Jets. Just straight up to win the game. Ooh. So that's we're right there. We're betting on Pat's defense. We're betting on Bill Belichick forcing uh Zach Wilson to throw the ball and forcing him to beat them. Uh I like that. It's in New England. It is in New England. All right, let's do it. I like that more than the first one. Okay. Let's go. And they're, they're three point favorites. You know what? Let's put the the Bears one as a maybe. We'll circle back on it. The, mm-hmm. How you feel about the third one? And the the Pats are three point favorites in that game, but I just feel like that's slightly too rich. I'd rather be a little bit safer. Take the money line on this one. Like it. Um, and the last one. You ready to ride? Really? Broncos money line against the Raiders. Raiders at Broncos. The Raiders are in free fall. The Broncos are three point favorites again. Just the money line. Just the safe thing. Like, they really need this game. All right. I'm going to trust you on this one. I just, I'm, I refuse to bet on. No, I, I like it. I, I'm a defensive guy. Let's bet on defense. There's one unit between these teams that can trust it. It's the Broncos defense. So we're betting on the Broncos defense. You are three for three right now. I'm sticking with all these bets. I like the we're Bears. Take, we're taking all three. We're taking all three. You are going to catapult us back. Three games over 500 this week on your on your back. Thank you so much, Charlie. Thank you. All right. Appreciate it, Charlie. Thanks, Christina, Addy, Sarah. All of you guys are the best. Um, watch Debatable because Charlie really wants you to. Um, and rate listen. and review that in this. Oh, yeah. Listen to it also. Do all the things. All right. Thanks for listening. See you next time. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show.